All right. How are we this morning? Good, good, good. Um, say this before we pray together and get into the scripture. Um, had a wonderful time away, but I was about four or five days in. Um, I was in God's country uh, in a tree. Uh, whenever I go on vacation, I usually try to find myself in a tree somewhere with wild animals and bows and arrows and all that guy stuff. So, uh, but it was about day four or five, and I just started missing home. I started missing you guys and uh, thinking about the church and, and about the gospel and, uh, and just couldn't get back, couldn't wait to get back and see your face and, and preach and worship with you. So this morning, before we go into the scripture, I want to pray for you. You can flip to Matthew chapter 5. This is where we're going to be together. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and I'll pray. Father, you're the greatest of all time. You never change. You never waver. You never fail. You never back down. You were infinitely better, God, than anything that we have ever experienced or could experience in this life. God, you were just that good. And God, sometimes it's easy for us to get our eyes off of your goodness, God, and off of your grace and off of your power and your might and your majesty, God. And Lord, just to be honest, to get it on ourselves and we forget who you are. We forget what you've done. We forget about the power of your gospel and your glory and your namesake. So today, God, as we together look at the scriptures, my prayer, Father, is that you would stir in our hearts affections for your namesake and for your glory, God, that you would stir in us, God, a, a desire for revival, God, that you would stir in us a desire to see you and to take hold of the cross, Lord. We are praying that this morning because we're asking you to do in our hearts what we can't do for ourselves. Lord, if we could have done it on our own, Jesus would never have had to come. If we could have done it by ourselves, the cross would mean nothing. So today we confess our dependence. We desperately need you, Jesus. We desperately need the power of your spirit to awaken our hearts to love, to awaken our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that you have for us today. And we pray it, we believe it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter 5, I want to read this verse to you and then just kind of snapshot the week. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I don't know if you're anything like me, but this week kind of a big deal happened in our country. There was an election. Anybody track with that? Anybody track with that? It's probably the most, uh, I say incredible, um, not really, maybe the most positive way, the most intense, incredible, defining, um, different election that our country has probably ever walked through together. And as I looked at, and it doesn't matter this morning, if your person won or if your person didn't win or if you're like me and your person didn't even make it on the ticket, right? Like, so... In the aftermath of that, when I was watching the news, I was on my trip and I was enjoying the trip. And then um, I was, woke up at four o'clock the morning after the election. All the guys at the camp were talking about the results. And, and there were some, you know, there was just so many different opinions, right? And, and I remember thinking, I watched people begin to set things on fire and the, the, the hate and the lashing out, and the tension in our nation, the political tension and the, the religious tension and the racial tension that, that we thought, so many things that we thought as an American people, we thought were dead or gone. And it seems like there's been this resurrection of burden and hurt and division. And I thought in that moment, God, how am I supposed to be? God, what am I supposed to do? Like, what should my response to all of this be, God? Does anybody else find yourself in that boat? Like, I've been in conversation where one thought this and the other thought that, and they're kind of going, and as a believer, I'm like, God, I don't really, what do you want me to say? 
How am I supposed to react? How am I supposed to be? And this morning, I want to give you five things that I believe when we look at the truth of Scripture and the beauty of Scripture, God directs us how to be, how to exist in grace, how to walk out this life as believers. And number one, if you're taking notes, is be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Notice that I did not say a peacekeeper. I said a peacemaker. My grandmother is a peacekeeper. I love my grandma. She's, she's a peach. I don't know any other way to say it. She's precious. She's my mima. But my family, we're all pretty opinionated, and we'll be at Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we'll get in a conversation or a discussion about football or politics or whatever. And, and Mima, all of a sudden, whenever the tensions begin to flare, Mima will just come out of nowhere, mock six, and be like, but banana pudding? Anybody know any peacekeepers? I mean, for real, we'll be, my dad and I engage in conversation. It always gets lively, and my grandma, she'll be like, anybody want fried chicken? I can do it right now. Fried chicken, anybody? She just wants to keep the peace. That's what she always says. That's kind of her phrase. Let's just keep the peace. And, and so what I'm telling you, as much as I love my Mima, we're not called to be peacekeepers because sometimes when we aim to keep the peace, we'll find ourselves just being a doormat or being run over. We'll think that being a, we should be a peacekeeper and it will cause us at times to undermine who we are. It will cause us to compromise our convictions and to stay silent at times when we should be the voice of theological and biblical reason. See, to be a peacekeeper is easy. To be a peacekeeper at times will just kind of compromise who we are, but to be a peacemaker is someone who is actively involved in grace and love and dialogue, trying to understand those around us, to be empathetic for them, and to show them the grace of Christ. See, that takes work, doesn't it? See, to be a peacekeeper, we can just avoid the conversation altogether, right? But to be a peacemaker means we have to engage people. And we have to work hard. One of the most probably iconic phrases of the, um, uh, that, that any president has ever said of all time, Re Ronald Reagan, I, I really didn't know him personally, you know, but I really like the guy and I like a lot of things that he said. And there's this phrase that he said, he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Do you don't remember that? Do you remember the tension that surrounded that? What was the aim in that though? Peace. Like the, the, the aim was peace. And so to, to get to a place of peace, there had to be someone willing to stand up with conviction, to stand up with boldness, to stand up with love and grace for the good of the gospel and good of people to say, hey, bro, tear down the wall. And you and I are called in this generation in the middle of a political, religious, racial, economic storm of diversity and division. You and I are called to stand up and say, hey, let's tear down the walls. Let's not be divided. Let's be peacemakers. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's set Christ center stage. Being a peacemaker takes work. It takes dialogue, love, conviction, and grace. It's ultimately evidence, listen, that the Holy Spirit is living in you. I'm just going to be honest with you and lovingly say this to you this morning. If you find yourself as the center of division or always the center of controversy or always the, cent the center of confrontation and arguments, check your heart. Because the fruit of the Spirit, listen to Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He said peace. 
a byproduct of living in the gospel, serving Jesus and submitting our lives to him, is to be people of peace. To be people who pour out love. To be people who show grace. To be people who, even in the middle of a political crazy storm, racially crazy storm, to stand up and say, hey, is it just okay if we tear down these walls? Is it okay if we, if we just tear away these labels that supposedly divide us? Is it okay if we just tear down some walls? God has called us to be peacemakers. And that's, that's hard work. But not only peacemakers. To live in, a, in the culture and the society that we live in now to faithfully follow Christ. Not only are we called to be peacemakers, but we also have to be, if you're taking notes, this is point number two this morning, we have to be prayer warriors. Not only peacemakers... But we have to be prayer warriors. Listen to this. What is going on in the world right now, what we're getting to see is more than political, it's more than racial, it's more than economic, it's more than religious. It's spiritual. See, and that's the problem. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle that we sit on. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you're a progressive or liberal or conservative. Those things don't matter this morning. What matters is that we see the tension rising in our country. We see the, the riots. These things spill over when we try to address a spiritual problem by making someone on this planet or some political system or some political party our savior. Because those will always fail us. So you and I this morning, if there's an endeavor that we should be launching into as believers, we need to understand this, that this world, the problem in this world, you look at it. You can go back to the Medes and the Persians. You can work through Babylon and Rome. and Even America one day. Every single civilization at some point buckles under the weight of their own greed and selfishness. But the only kingdom that has remained, the only kingdom, kingdom that has never buckled is the kingdom of God. So listen, it is impossible for you and I to navigate spiritual waters on makeshift man-made rafts. And our political systems, our own opinions, our preferences, they're just makeshift man-made rafts. They will crumble under the weight of spiritual warfare. We have to engage on a spiritual level, meaning we have to pray. How am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? If your person lost the election or won the election, if, you, if your life right now moved past even the election, if your life right now is not going the way that you feel like it's supposed to go, if you're not headed in a direction that you feel like God's called you to, what am I supposed to be? Because isn't that really the question that we all wrestle with at some point in our lives? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I to be? Be a peacemaker and be a prayer warrior. Make prayer a habit. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. Make your life a life of prayer. Make prayer a habit. Corey Tim Boom said it like this. She said, Make prayer an appointment in your life. And keep it. She said, there's nothing fancy about it. Just make an appointment with God and keep your appointments. Make prayer a habit. We cannot navigate a natural, a spiritual war in man-made makeshift rafts. We have to pray. We have to be people of prayer. 
We make a habit of prayer, and then we make prayer confidently. We make our prayers, we utter our prayers with confidence. That's the thing that I think we forget sometimes about God. We, we don't utter prayers to a God who might fulfill what we ask, a God who's kind of, you know, bounces back and forth between if he wants to be benevolent and gracious or if he just wants to withhold his goodness from us. Like, that's not the God we serve. We serve a God who in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and I'll hear their land. This is what he said. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to toy with the idea of maybe answering your prayer. He said, no, if my people who are called by my name will pray, I will move. We forget that, don't we? We forget that we have this incredible weapon and this incredible tool at our disposal, the power and the glory and the goodness of prayer. And we can pray confidently, not wondering if God hears us or if he is attentive to our prayer, but passionately and confidently knowing that he said, if you do, I will. <laughs> Woo! I don't know about you, but that's good news this morning. If you pray, I'll move. If you pray, I'm listening. But not only are we to be peacemakers, not only are we to be prayer warriors, but we are to be truth seekers. You and I are called in this generation to be truth seekers. If you're taking notes, jot that down. If you're not taking notes, text it to somebody or log it away in your memory. And if you're not taking notes, maybe bring a pad next Sunday and start. It'd be a good idea. Point number three, be a truth seeker. Don't allow the media or your preferences or your opinion to shape your worldview. Hear me when I say this. Do not allow the media or your preferences or your opinion to shape your worldview. See, it's amazing. You can, you can turn on two different news organizations at the same time. And the same person will be the point of the story, but it's two separate stories going. Two totally separate worldviews. So hear me when I say this to you this morning. Do not allow the media, do not allow your own opinion or your own preferences to shift or thwart the world, your biblical worldview. Where do we look then, right? Where do we look? We look at the scriptures. Allow the truth of God's word to shape your worldview. We cannot navigate difficult times spiritually, politically, racially, economically. It doesn't matter. We cannot navigate it unless we are centered on the truth of God's word. Allow his word to shape your worldview. It has the answers. It has the answers. If I look to the world, I look at contemporary literature, I look at what's put out in magazines right now, right? If I look at, which I wouldn't be reading Cosmo, but ladies, if you're checking out Cosmo, if you're reading that, it's telling you how to be. It's telling you how, how the kind of wife, the kind of woman, the kind of person, and most of the time our culture tells us that we should just keep up with the Kardashians or the Joneses, whoever, right? And I could, literally, I could, I could watch TV, I could soak in media, I could read whatever articles and magazines I want to read, and it would direct me how to be. But the Bible says, simply, I can come to the Bible with my questions. Like, what kind of a husband am I supposed to be? Like, what kind of man am I supposed to be? Like, How am I to be in this generation? 
The Bible says a husband should love his wife like Christ loves the church, so much so that he lays down his life for her. Oh. See, my, that worldview is way different than what the world tells me I'm supposed to be. Well, well how am I supposed to love people? How, how should I be with, with my finances? Like, how, like, God, do you have an answer to those things? How am I to be? Because isn't that the question we all really ask from week to week? How am I to respond? How am I to be? How am I to live in this world? but not be of this world. All of those answers are contained in the Bible. That's why it's imperative that you and I endeavor to not just be peacemakers, not just be prayer warriors, but to be truth seekers and to go to the only fountain that's never been tainted with lies. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is, God breathed, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be completely equipped for every good work. This is what he's saying. Listen, Scripture is God-breathed. If you need to be reproved or encouraged or rebuked or uplifted, if you need to know how to be, Open the pages of this book. It speaks to us. It transforms us. It shifts and solidifies our world view. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Listen, pick up your Bibles. It has the answer. What kind of businessman am I supposed to be? It has the answer. What kind of friend am I supposed to be? It has the answer. How am I to treat the poor? It has the answer. How am I to treat orphans? It has the answer. How am I to treat people of other races from other places? It has the answer. But we have to be truth seekers. We have to be willing to Turn off Fox or CNN for a moment. We have to be willing to put down the magazine, to put down our own opinions, our own prejudices, our own preferences. And we have to be willing to say, God, this is what I'll do. I'll endeavor to be a peacemaker. I, I will seek you in prayer. And I will dig in your word to hear your heart. If we want to navigate the storm of culture that we live in, those are three keys that we have to have to latch on to being peacemakers being prayer warriors and being true seekers and that will lead us to probably the most beautiful place that we could ever imagine if we take those steps if you think about it maybe as a five-step process of being a peacemaker and then walking into a life of being a prayer warrior and then moving a little further and being a true seeker there's something that happens that's incredible we begin to be lovers of the lost god will when we when we look into the Word and when we seek His face in prayer, when we understand how absolutely dirty and filthy and wretched and lost we were before the Gospel, He does something to us. When we're looking at the, when we're seeking His face in prayer and we know how grateful we should be and how much grace He's poured out to even allow us entrance into His kingdom. And then we read His Word and we're reminded of how much He loves us, but not just us, the rest of the world. It cultivates in our heart a love for the lost. We no longer see Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative or black or white or Hispanic or rich or poor. We see lost and we see found. And we make it the aim of our lives to see as many people who are lost become found. 
God is not a Scrooge seeing how many people he can reject or exclude from his party. Church feels like that sometimes in some places. But God isn't a Scrooge seeing how many people he can reject or exclude from his party. He extends the invitation to whosoever will. Man, think about that. The most famous, rich, well-known, benevolent, incredible person in the world calls you up and says, hey, I want you to come to my party. I, I can't really afford the plane ticket. No, I'm sending my jet. I don't really have anything to wear. I, you know, I, I found out from your mom your sizes because she kept track of all that all these years. And, and I've already sent, I got you an Armani suit in the closet of the jet. Well, I mean, I don't really know. It's got cufflinks with your name on it too. Now, who would be stoked to go to that party? See, we don't realize that's what Christ, God has done in Christ for us. A party that you and I should have never been at. A party that you and I were too filthy to walk through the door of. God, in His grace, sent Christ to die on our behalf so that you and I wouldn't have to live lost, but we could be found. So that we could not only just come to the party, but that we could be a part of the party and then go and find everyone we could and invite them in. You say, TJ, are you sure about that? Luke 14, 23, And the Master said to His servants, Go into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that My house may be filled. And that's the aim and goal of our lives, not for our own political party to win, not for our own plans and ideas to succeed, but so that we might be a part of seeing lost men and women become found men and women. Charles Spurgeon said this, if sinners be damned, if they're going to hell, let them go to hell with our arms draped around their ankles as we try to pull them back to heaven. It's the great privilege of every believer in the room not only do we get to be peacemakers, not only do we get to be prayer warriors, not only do we get to be truth seekers, but we get to love the lost. It's an opportunity. It's a gift. It's not, it's not a burden. Love the lost this morning. And last but not least, if you're taking notes this morning, not only are we called to be peacemakers, not only are we called to be prayer warriors and truth seekers and to love the lost, but we are called to bear the cross of Christ. These are actually the words of Jesus in Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, If any one of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is what Jesus is saying. Hey, listen. If you, want to, if you want to be with me, if you want this spiritual eternal life, if you want to drink from a fountain that, that never runs dry, if you want to know eternal peace and, co- and have confidence in, your eternal, in, in my eternal grace, you've got to pick up the cross. Well, see, in order to pick up the cross, we have to put some stuff down. And I want you to hear me say this this morning. The only banner that we wave with total abandonment is the cross of Christ. It's not a conservative banner or a liberal banner or a white, black, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, bulldog, or war eagle banner. It's not. It's not. It's the cross. 
And if we make our aim, listen to me, if we make our aim to be to wave any other banner other than the cross of Christ, then we absolutely have missed the gospel. And we are living outside of our calling. And we are not fulfilling the beautiful call of being a Christian. We are to be his image bearers. Listen, he, I don't know why he did it, but he allowed, ask broken men and women, you and me, to be his ministers, his messages of reconciliation to the world. That means we get to bear his image to the world. That means when the lost come looking for hope, they look at the church. They're looking at us to see what God looks like. God's not a Republican and God's not a Democrat. God's not a conservative and God's not a liberal. God's a spirit. And he's a spirit that gives life. So if there's any banner that you wave this morning, if there's any, any ideology you fall under, any truth that you want to tout, if there's any words that are on your lips, let it be the gospel of Christ and let it be the cross of Calvary. Be a peacemaker. Be a prayer warrior. Be a truth seeker. Look to this thing to shape your world view. Love the lost. Refuse to see this morning a political party or a different socioeconomical bracket from you. Refuse to see that. Ask God to birth in your heart a lens to only see lost and found. And then ask God not only to burden your heart with that lens, but then to break your heart, to help you move those from death to life, the lost to found. Because if we don't do that, we're just wasting our time. Last but not least, ask God to gift you with calloused shoulders. That are calloused from the weight of the cross of Christ. That you joyfully and willingly picked up and carried. For the glory of his name's sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word. Lord, we can't do this on our own this morning. I believe that. I know that to be true. So I'm asking you, help us to be peacemakers. You said that if we were peacemakers, we'd be called the sons of God. We would be blessed. Help us to be prayer warriors because we know that we can't navigate spiritual war with man-made makeshift rafts. Help us to be truth seekers, Lord. Allow us to turn our hearts and ears and eyes and minds away from a world that's been tainted by sin and allow us to engage the Scriptures to shape our worldview. Give our hearts a burden and a love for the lost. And God, help our shoulders to be calloused by the weight of your beautiful cross. In Jesus' name, amen.